This is Campus Voices. Issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Good morning. Welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway, and as always, I thank you for your time on this Sunday morning. Our guest this morning, Ronnie Green, the 20th Chancellor of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where he oversees our overall enrollment and a number of faculty and staff members. He had previously led the university's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources and served as interim senior vice chancellor for academic affairs. A Virginia native, he received his bachelor's and master's degrees in animal science from Virginia Tech, Colorado State University respectively, and then a doctoral program completed jointly here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and the USDA ARS US Meat Animal Research Center in animal breeding and genetics. And he has announced that he plans to retire, step away from his duties sometime here mid-year. He joins us to spend a few moments in reflection. Chancellor, thank you again. It's great to be here, Rick. This is, I think, our third time talking about things since, <laughs> since, since you took over. So, it is. But this one uh, has a little bit more of a, a sense of finality about it, I guess. Uh, you announced your plans in December to retire mid-year this year. What? Uh, what were some of the factors that uh, led to the timing of it, uh, that this was the right time well, to start away? You know, there were a number of things, Rick. Um, some that, that people people know and others that, that they might not know or might not be as apparent. Uh, you know, it, it's just the right time for me to, to step into retirement, into that next phase of life. Um, you know, after nearly a 40-year career in, in the field and in government and in industry and in academia and, and get, you know, as, as we all do, going 24-7 going at it, you know, for, for the, all of those years. Um, but it's just, it's the right time for us and our family to, to step into that next era for us. I'm, and I personally, something that most people don't know about me is that, um, I lost my father when he was 59 years old, and um, and uh, that's remained with me throughout <clears throat> throughout my life. Uh, when I turned 59 here a few years ago, uh, that was a, a mental cue to me that uh, that I really needed to start thinking about when that time was going to be right for me. And uh, and it's it's time. It's the right time for us, and we're we're excited about that and then that that next era, but. But also just immensely proud of the last seven years that I've had the opportunity to serve in the chancellor role here for our university, and so uh, that that's that's the story, as they say. I lost my mom when she was 58, so I have great affinity for those right. what that does right. in terms of your thought process right. about when it's time. Uh, you so. know, in my case, I, I watched my dad retire, and six months later, he was gone. You know, so it's uh, those those things leave a lasting impact on you, and. Um, uh, you know, I miss my dad every day I have, since I was yep. 28 years old. So. I, I understand exactly how you feel. Uh, so let's let's get. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. When you were a kid growing up in Virginia, what was you wanted to do? What was what was on oh, your mind wow. as, as uh, the thing you wanted to do when you grew well, up? Well, you know, Rick, and we may have talked about this. I think earlier when I became chancellor, uh, you know, I I grew up. I'm a farm kid from the the hills, Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, in the western part of Virginia, and uh, I. Grew up, uh, I guess, thinking that and uh, and orienting toward becoming a large animal veterinarian. I worked in the cattle industry. I grew up in the cattle industry on both sides of my family, and and uh, <clears throat> my parents weren't able to get you know advanced education in their lives, but they certainly pushed me to. Um, 
and uh, and I'm forever grateful for that. But uh, you know, I I grew up thinking I was going to go off to Virginia Tech or the Land Grant University in my state, and and eventually become a, a cattle veterinarian. You know, uh, James Harriet. Remember James Harriet? Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, if you're of, if you're of our small. era, you're of our era. You remember yes, James Harriet and the the great books telling the story of the the Yorkshire veterinarian in um, in the UK and and life um, in that way. And I grew up. Uh, idealizing that, thinking, you know, that's what I was going to become, and uh, that's not what happened. You know, when I went to school at Virginia Tech and had that privilege and opportunity, uh, I figured out pretty early on um, in my undergrad career that that was not what I wanted to do and not what I was destined to do or be best used in doing, and and uh, ended up being mentored very heavily by faculty at Virginia Tech. Uh, still that I'm in touch with today, uh, all these years later, uh, to pursue a, a career in education and research and education in the animal genetics world, which is where I, where I ended up and what I ended up doing. So then so, part of that research brought you to Nebraska to pursue uh, right. an additional degree. What were your first thoughts on arriving in the Great Plains compared to the Blue Ridge Mountains you'd grown yeah, up in? Yeah, you know, I, did, I didn't have much experience with Nebraska. You know, I... Um, as I said, all of my family was in Virginia, still are from 200 years back. You know, it's so I I had been across Nebraska, you know, to get to Denver, <laughs> to the stock show, you know, basically. Yep. But I but I had never actually uh, learned much about Nebraska. I, I was sharing with some folks uh, last week. Uh, the College of Education and Human Sciences gave me this beautiful Ann Burkholder painting of uh, a scene in Custer County, Nebraska. And I was sharing with them that my actual first exposure to Nebraska was when I was a high school kid. And our, our pastor in our community moved his family to Broken Bow, Nebraska. And so I remember as a, a high school sophomore thinking, what kind of place is named Broken Bow? And where is that? And it, when it studied and found out about Broken Bow, Nebraska, and, and what that was like. But, I, you know, um, I, I have... Uh, come to love very deeply in Nebraska. Um, when I, I remember arriving here as a graduate student uh, in 1985, I'd come from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I'd done my master's work at CSU. And, and <clears throat> you know, I, I have to admit, I thought that first winter was going to kill me because it happened to be one of the olden days winters in Lincoln, Nebraska. It, uh, lots of snow and blizzards and cold, cold conditions that first year. Uh, but uh, but I you know it is a place that is very special to us now and as you know I ended up marrying Nebraska. You did um, in many 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 respects uh, and I say that almost you know, almost literally you know uh, in um, in my wife Jane and her deep roots here and uh, so I consider myself a Nebraskan. What was it that led from the and continuing on in your in your uh, uh, trajectory into higher academics that led to the the move into admit, academic administration? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm, I, I guess uh, when that happened for me, which would have been 2010, 13 years ago, when I came back to the university as the vice chancellor of the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources, um, was an unconventional move, right? And so I. I was a faculty member for the first 15 years, roughly, of my career at uh, Texas Tech and Colorado State. I was celebrating with our 
faculty who were just tenured and promoted this past week and was telling them some of the stories about that from my own memory and, and life as, a, as an academic. Uh, but I left academia in 2000, even, you know, right at the start of this, this century, I left my position at Colorado State, went into private industry and in a startup business in the beef industry and then ended up in research leadership for the U.S. government and USDA in Washington and then ended up in executive leadership in Pfizer um, in the animal health business of Pfizer uh, before I came back here to the university. And I, I was, that was not my plan. I'll be uh, real honest about that. I've told many people it was, I, I had planned to continue with Pfizer building this business for Pfizer in, in my field in animal genomics. Um, and yet there was this opportunity to come back here uh, and I was encouraged very strongly by a lot of the, the alumni of the university uh, to look at that position when it was open in 2010. And I, I, I've told this story many times that when I came here to interview, I came, I came kind of begrudgingly to the interview thinking, okay, I will satisfy these folks by going through this interview process, but I really don't think I'm the right person for this or this is the right time for me personally to do this. And almost from the beginning of the typical three and a half day long Nebraska interview for a position, um, <clears throat> I knew that that was what I was supposed to do and where I was supposed to be to come back and have the opportunity to lead the institute. Uh, uh, and it was a wonderful decision. I mean, I, um, I look back very fondly on those years in the institute of, of Taking, helping to take it to new levels of its prominence internationally. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. It was unconventional. When I say unconventional, it was unconventional because I had been away from academia for a decade by that point in time. And I'd never been a department head. I'd never been a department head. I'd never been a dean. I'd never been in any of those kind of administrative roles. I'd been a faculty member, and I loved being a faculty member, but it was pretty unconventional. And uh, and I, I'll have to admit, Harvey Perlman kind of took a risk on me as the chancellor then of, of hiring me into that role in that way. More common today for us to see that kind of trajectory into administrative leadership, but, but certainly was a lot less common then. The chancellor role, uh, I, I'll just tell you, I, there's no way I would have ever envisioned me being in that role. I, I, um, I think I said the day that the announcement was made of the appointment, which was just a little over seven years ago, um, I think the first words out of my mouth were, this is surreal, I do not know how this happened that I'm standing here to have the opportunity to lead a great institution like this that's such a part of my life, it's a part, such a part of our family's lives. lives. Um, and, uh, and I still don't really, Rick, to be honest with you, I still don't really know how that happened. It just did. Um, and I'm glad that it did. You know, I've, I've, I've tremendously enjoyed serving in the role and being able to serve this great institution and think we've been able to get, do a lot of great things. Yeah, I was going to ask you what the what the the little guy in the Blue Hill in, in the Blue Ridge Mountains would have thought about the prospects of her becoming a chancellor oh, at an internationally respected yeah. research university. Uh, you know, you know, it's just it's it's just really hard to believe, and I share that with students all the time. I've been doing it a lot these last uh, several months with with 
a, a wide variety of our students all over campus. You know, that, that's the power of, in many ways, I will say it's the power and transformational power of education. It's the transformational power of the land-grant system yep. that I believe so strongly in. Um, that, you know, the first-gen educated kid from the hills of Virginia that spoke Appalachianese, you know, as well as I refer to it, um, would have those kinds of opportunities and be able to do those kinds of things. Um, so, no, I could have never, never imagined it. Um, you know, the, the, this institution, you know, and what we've been able to do over the last seven years, I mean, I'm so immensely proud of this institution and what it does, what its mission is, how it delivers on that mission. Um, first and foremost in our education mission, you know, we, uh, I, I was sharing with a group earlier this week um, talking about how, you know, we, most people don't know or won't say this automatically about the University of Nebraska-Lincoln because of our humbleness <laughs> as Nebraskans. But, you know, this institution, if you look across the Big Ten and you look across our peer group in the Big Ten institutions, uh, 14 of the most prominent institutions in the world um, in the Big Ten, we, our institution is the one, in my view, I think I, it's very clear to me, is the top institution in terms of the way that we educate our students, the education that they receive here, um, the, the uh, direct experience that they have with faculty here, um, that it, this is the best place in the Big Ten to be a, to be a student. And I absolutely am proud of that. Uh, I'm proud of that for, for UNL. And the, you know, in reflecting back, you know, commencement's coming up here next weekend. Um, and thinking of looking forward to that and thinking about that as the, the pinnacle of what we do uh, here at the university. Uh, the, you know, we'll have the fourth record graduating class in the last six years in the 154-year history of the university. And for that to happen and to see that happen and to see the quality of these graduates and where they're going to go and what they're going to do um, is pretty pretty humbling, right? Um, and uh, to do that during a global pandemic is just just un almost unbelievable to me to see that happen. Immensely proud of that. Um, and uh, then from you know, the rest of our mission, you know, you the research mission that we have and the research and innovation that happens here at this university and the, the trajectory that that research is on currently. You know, I, we're one of the very few institutions in the United States, very few, that through the last series of years and all of the challenges that those years have presented for all of us, that we have seen our research program grow year on year here for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And that just has not happened across the country. It just has not. Last year, we grew by another 6% in our research um, uh, output here and our research expenditures here. I'm immensely proud of that and what that research does and how it's impacting the world. And uh, and then I could keep on talking forever, Rick. You you know that, but uh, just immensely proud of of this institution. Well, you say it's a great place to be a student. I, I can't speak on behalf of all six thousand of my faculty and staff colleagues, but speaking at least from my own perspective, it's a pretty good place to be an employee and a faculty member too. It it is. 
It is, and it's been, you know, I'm, I'm fully conscious of uh, um, how tough the last few years have been. I, and as I say, for everybody, it's yeah. not, I'm not making this exclusive to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln or to higher education, or, but it's been tough for everybody. But, it, but uh, you know, it, it is one of the best places to be a, a, a faculty member and a staff member. It's, I'm, I'm also very, very proud of that as well. As the song says, there is no place like Nebraska. <laughs> right, so right. you mentioned the land-grant institutions, and, and you've spent a good deal of your life either going to school at or being employed by a land-grant institution. What do you think in, in your years of reflection is the real value of a land-grant university? Well, it, you know, so land grant, meaning that we're the people's university of this state, right? I mean, we're the, you know, we, we are unique, we are unique here, and I should say that uh, uh, as well, in that as the land grant university for Nebraska, we also are the comprehensive Carnegie R1 research university, we're the flagship university for Nebraska. That's, that's also relatively rare in the U.S. because most places have a flagship university and then they'll have a land-grant university separately all around us. That would be the case here in the U.S. Uh, states that surround Nebraska. But land-grant, you know, the, the, the importance of access to education that the land-grant system was set up originally in the 1860s to provide, it was the first time that education was accessible, higher education was accessible, to, you know, at the time they would have said to the masses, to the sons and daughters of farmers and ranchers and, and uh, blue-collar workers and manufacturers and so forth and so on, rather than just of the elite, right, or the more elite um, in, the, in society or, or in the clergy, right, and for, uh, for religious education. So that access is so tremendously important to, to higher education um, and then the, the connection to serving the people of the state, right? Uh, that, that mission of research that matters to Nebraska and to the place of Nebraska, uh, which we do in spades here, and the connection to the state and serving the people of the state through engagement and through outreach. Um, most folks just think of extension when they think that way, Nebraska Cooperative Extension. We have one of the very best extension programs anywhere in the United States are considered the leader in extension in many, many respects nationally here. Um, but the university is also outreaching in a whole dimensions of ways that are above and beyond extension as well. You know, I can go through every academic college on, on the university's campus and point to all of these ways that those colleges are engaged directly across Nebraska in so many, so many ways, whether that's community development or whether it's planning or whether it's public policy or whether it's media, you know, and, the, um, and media and communications, I just across the board um, in that way. So that, that land-grant mission is, you know, 150 now uh, eight years old. The, the land-grant act passed in 1862. Uh, by President Lincoln, we instituted it here in 1869 with the formation of our university. To me, it is absolutely as relevant, if not more relevant today than it was when we were we were founded in 1869. 
Yeah, and I keep going back to that phrase you used earlier, which is the transformational power of, of an education Absolutely. to change people's lives and by changing individuals' lives, changing society. So, That's right. So when you look back on your tenure here as, uh, with IANR and also as chancellor, what, what, if, if someone corners you in an elevator and says, what, would your, what were some of your greatest accomplishments and achievements here? What, yeah, what, you know, what are you most proud I, of? I, 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 you, I, I think you know me well enough for it to, to know that I will not say my accomplishment. There's no way, there's no... No, my accomplishment here, but it's, it's uh, you know, what you heard me say a few minutes ago about my, the thing that is most powerful to me that I'm proudest of is those nearly 40,000 graduates that this institution has produced or that are now undergirded with that Nebraska education that have occurred in that, in that seven-year period of time. First and foremost, without a doubt, that would be what, I'm, what I am the most proud of. But we also have done things like uh, increase our research by 15% since I've been chancellor. We have increased our graduation rates to levels that we have never seen in our history. Our four-year graduation rate here at for the university has gone up 12% in the time that I've been in the role of chancellor. I had the goal of it going up 5%. So to see that happen is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We've, uh, we've rebuilt in many ways during the last seven years our College of Engineering into a much more powerful College of Engineering to serve the needs that are there moving forward. A part of that's physical building. Part of that is building the faculty of the College of Engineering and growing that faculty and growing the college. Very, very proud of that. Um, certainly proud of the fact that we have made major moves forward in our campuses. Uh, whether that be city main campus at UNL or East Campus or Innovation Campus or facilities across the state in our, our research and uh, education infrastructure across the state. Uh, yeah, it's mind-boggling to me when I think about it, but we have, we have implemented, opened new, or are in the process of you know, over $1.1 billion in new facilities and revamp facilities for this campus that will take it forward into the next hundred years, and I'm very, very, very proud of. And then, then lastly, you know, this is this is something that you asked me about um, ever being able to imagine or ever being able to think um, uh, about being in a role like this one. One of the first things that I would have said to you is that I would have never envisioned myself raising money, right? being a fundraiser or raising money. It's just it's not something that I would have thought would be in my skill set or something that I would enjoy doing. You know, asking for asking people and entities for money is a, is a uh, it's just not the natural thing for most of us. But it boggles my mind to think that in the last six years we have raised over $1.2 billion in support of this university privately from donors, from foundations, supporting some of that growth I talked about, but mostly supporting our students and our faculty programmatically. Uh, we just got word of another major gift for one of our colleges this past week that's the biggest ever in history. We haven't announced it yet, but it is a big deal that's coming in June that we're tremendously excited about. I would have never envisioned that that would be something that I would be able to be part of, 
or influence or do, and something that in the end I would actually enjoy seeing happen, right, and being able to be part of that process. So just very, very proud of our donors, of the supporters of the institution for what they are doing and have done and continue to, get to do to build this, build this institution to even greater levels. You and I had the distinct pleasure of sharing a table together along with our alumni, uh, Master Jane Olson, a couple of months yes. ago at the Alumni Masters Medallion Dinner. And I was thinking to myself, uh, listening to your remarks and watching it that evening, that this is one of those things that was the last time for you right. doing this. Right. Are there some traditions that, as you've done them this year, you're thinking, oh, this is the last time yeah, I'll do this? I, that I really guess, you know, Rick, I, 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 I've actually been doing this for a while. I, I'll expose another little-known secret here, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I announced in December, as you mentioned, my intent to retire at the end of June, but I actually had made that decision sometime earlier. I, uh, to be honest, I actually had made that decision that it was time to think about that and when, when I would want to retire two years ago during COVID, at the height of COVID, and I reflected that physically for me, that it was, it was time to really start thinking about slowing down. And uh, so I mentally have been doing a lot of last things for a while in my, my head. But yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, the, the last football season, there were a lot of things that I went through last fall knowing this was going to be my last football season and last things in Husker athletics that, um, that Jane and I both love dear, deeply and dearly. Uh, uh, last, like I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, the last time to celebrate with our faculty promotion and tenure, the last time to celebrate, you know, the chancellor scholars that are going to graduate over almost 100 with perfect 4.0 averages at commencement here next week, the last time to celebrate commencement uh, in December, you know, with graduates and the last time here in, in, um, in May, um, the last time to have Ivy Day with our innocence and our mortar board, I, you know, just I could go on and on of the the last time with our college prep academy kids, which I just admire so deeply, those those students in the college prep academy, and to to be with them, I'm speaking to them, you know, I'm here at this this weekend as well, you know, and it, it's so there's a lot of those kinds of things that um, we're reflecting back on and thinking that it's the last time as chancellor, but it won't be the last time we'll be there, as a uh, Jane and I are very committed to this institution. We're staying here in Lincoln in our retirement with our three of our four adult children live here in Lincoln. And fourth one's wanting to come back if she can get here in the next few years. And uh, so we'll, we'll still be the strongest supporters you'll see in the, in the sidelines of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I know uh, that uh, you and, and Husker Jane have been uh, partners in so many ways uh, within your own family, but also... I can't recall in my years here ever seeing a chancellor who was so visibly uh, connected to his partner at university events. Right. I mean, you guys have been co-chairs of the annual uh, cam combined campaigns. Right. Jane is frequently involved in things for the university. It really has been a great partnership for you. Yeah, it has been. I mean, uh, we uh, I mentioned that uh, I married Nebraska in August of 1986 when Jane and I we're married here in First Plymouth Church in Lincoln, and and I I tell the story. Um, she'll be mad at me for telling me <laughs> telling this in public, but but I tell the story about we walked out of the wedding ceremony that evening in August of 1986 and walked into the courtyard. People here will know 
who have been to First Plymouth know the beautiful courtyard there at that church, standing in a receiving line, and I'm greeting all these hundreds of Nebraskans. Jane knew everybody in Nebraska. I still, still tell people that she knows everybody in Nebraska. Um, and uh, the first thing she said to me as we lined up to greet people with my mother from Virginia standing, thinking she had just sent her son to a foreign country, right? Uh, she leaned over and she said, in case I didn't tell you, we will never live east of the Missouri River. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, little did I know how, uh, how uh, much that would come to be true, right? Uh, uh, she dearly loves Nebraska and, and um, has brought me to dearly love Nebraska. So Jane's, Jane has been my partner through life, you know, and, and we do do everything together. And uh, we're, we, we refer to ourselves since 1985 as best friends. And uh, that's the way we operate. And this has been a journey for her as well. She deeply, deeply cares about this institution. Um, all four of our children are graduates of this institution. That was one of her goals in life, and she achieved that goal. And now her goal in life is that every one of our grandchildren will be a graduate of, of this institution. And so far, so good in the right. direction. But it's it's been a, uh, I guess I would say, a pleasure to serve in the chancellor role with a partner like Jane. And to have her supporting the university in the ways that she has um, she's not been the chancellor, she hasn't been making decisions or anything like that, but she cares so deeply about this institution and wants everything to be successful for this institution. Uh, so it's been a pleasure to do it with her. Got to ask you, what's next? Well, you know, uh, I, what, I, what I'm pretty sure of, Rick, you, you never say never. I'm 62 years old. I uh, a lot of people have been asking, I mean, one of the most prominent questions I've been asked for the last six months is, what are you going to do next? You know, it's thinking that I'm not really planning to retire. Uh, I'm really planning to retire. I, you know, I, uh, I've made it very clear. I've had a lot of approaches to me to say, why don't you think about doing this? Or why don't you think about taking this, another role in higher education? And I've said, you know, I don't, I'm don't, don't want another full-time gig. I'm, I'm done with full-time professional life uh, at this point, but, you know, I, I'm going to re-engage in the, the beef industry. I'm going to re-engage in that world that I came out of um, and do some work in that part of the, part of the world in the future. Um, I'm on a, a public company board that I've been on for the last eight years in the, in the ag and food sector. I'll continue in that, that work. I'm looking forward to that. Um, being asked to consider maybe an additional service in another public company board like uh, like that. So some of those kinds of things. And then how Jane and I plan to spend our time is certainly with our family and our growing family. Uh, uh, we just recently added a grandson, uh, and so we're in the exponential phase of family growth uh, at this point. And then we have history way back into our lives, both Jane and I do, in lay ministry work. Uh, we did a lot of lay ministry work when I was a faculty member in Colorado and in Texas. Um, and after that, haven't, I haven't had much opportunity to do that over the last 15 years. Um, and I'm really looking forward to reengaging in lay ministry education work, and, uh, and Jane is as well. So we're looking forward to, to doing that. Um, and so we, we have a, 
I think it's best described is our bucket is already full. There you go. <laughs> and uh, we're looking forward to that. We're, we will be staying here in Lincoln, and we're excited to, to uh, for that as well. Well, congratulations on all that's come before, and uh, with gratitude from all of us who have had the chance to get to know you and work with you, and best wishes for all that comes next. You bet, Rick. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done all these years. Well, it's my pleasure. For the College of Journalism and Mass Communications. Our guest today on Campus Voices, Dr. Ronnie Green, wrapping up his years of academia as the Chancellor of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Rick Alloway. This has been Campus Voices, and as always, I thank you for your time this Sunday morning. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.